0: Good to see all of you here on a Sunday night. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Before we observe the Lord's Supper tonight, we're going to spend a few minutes uh, from this psalm talking about uh, a gracious God. Out of the 150 psalms that you find in the Bible, 73 are clearly identified as being from David. David wrote them. And then of course there are a number that we that are not identified, but we could reasonably make a case for David having written them. The 145th Psalm is the last one that is ascribed to him openly. And it really begins what we might consider kind of a doxology to the end of the book of Psalms. It is in the next six chapters, this chapter and the five after are a praise really and honor to God. Uh, and in this particular chapter, Uh, David talks about how gracious God is and praises Him for that. And he begins uh, here speaking of the greatness of God in verse 1 right away. Look at it with me. He said, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Now David said he's going to praise God forever. And he gives, actually in this statement in verse 1, we find a couple of reasons. And the first and most important one is, he, he called God, my God. Now what that means and what that tells us is God, uh, David had a obviously a personal relationship with God and praise or worship begins there. It begins with a relationship with God. Uh, worship, biblical worship is reserved for saved people. Lost people can't really worship or praise God because they don't know Him. Their praise would most likely be abstract in nature. Uh, The world today speaks of God in very abstract terms, and there is no worship of God in the abstract. Worship is personal. Uh, Worship comes from a a personal relationship with God. In fact, we are motivated to worship from our relationship with God, from knowing Him and knowing more about Him. The world today often speaks of God in terms of uh, the force behind nature. Uh, Star Wars, may the force be with you, or, or uh, in terms of maybe, um, you know, just fate. Things happen, and one who's in control. I've often had men say to me, "Well, you know, the man upstairs. I, you know, I have an understanding. That's that borders on blasphemy. God's not the man upstairs, and he's he's not the old guy sitting on the throne with a great big white beard. He's God, and." The reason we are moved to worship Him is because we come to know Him and we have a respect for Him and honor for Him, particularly when we realize what He's done for us and how great He is. That's the source of David's praise here. David, David says right out, I will extol you, my God. Uh, if you're here tonight uh, or you watch this online and you say, well, you know, worship's hard for me. I just don't, I don't feel like worshiping well, maybe you need to check your relationship with God. Uh, you, need to, you need to maybe examine yourself. Uh, I can give you uh, really a couple, of, a couple of things that would hinder your worship, but the primary one is your relationship with God. Make sure that you're saved. Uh, saved men and women are drawn to God. Uh, we're drawn to Him, and you can't help but be drawn to God. Again, doesn't mean perfect holiness or that we become some super saint, but we recognize We recognize in every area area of life that God is a source of all of our blessings and it moves us to worship him. And if you're not moved to worship God, uh, then maybe you should examine your very relationship with him. Secondly, David said here, not only am I gonna worship him in verse one because he's my God, because of this personal relationship, but he identifies him as king. Uh, David knew what it meant to be king, didn't he? He was a king. And David knew what that meant, that kind of authority and that kind of responsibility. And what he was saying is, my God has ultimate authority. My God is the king. He's the Lord. He's the master. And he said, I'm going to worship him because he's Lord of all. The world today, pretty openly and blatantly, rejects the sovereignty of God. The world today rejects the fact that God has the last say on life. Our governments, the government of this country makes laws that contradict the law of God. And may I say kindly and and respectfully to those who hold that office, they're gonna be sorry they did that. Because one of these days, they have to stand before the law giver. They have to stand before the one who who wrote the law, who gave it, who who made the laws of nature and the very laws that we're to live under, they are gonna be held accountable and we know in the Bible to whom much is given, much is called into account. And those who are, whom God allows to serve in places of leadership where they have influence over masses of people, God will hold them accountable. And David said, "God is my king. And he has the last say. In the Christian life, we are commanded uh, to be obedient to the laws of the land and to be model citizens, and we should. Never should our face end up on TV as lawbreakers or rebellious leading in revolution or anything like that because God didn't call us to do that. Paul never tried to overthrow the Roman Empire and it had to be one of the most wicked to ever exist on the face of the planet. But he never tried to overthrow the Roman Empire by by some military or political uprising. He overthrew the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. Preach the gospel and live out the testimony of Jesus Christ. David said, Lord, I'm going to praise you because you're the king. The world may reject Jesus as king, but it doesn't make him any less the king. The world may say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make him any less real or that he's there. I just tell you, brothers and sisters, you know this. You've read the Bible. There's coming a day, and I'm going to show you the verse in a minute in Philippians, where every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. And those who reject Jesus are going to be sorrowful for all of eternity. So David said, I worship you and I praise you because you're the king. And then David in verse two talks about his practice of praise. Uh, Notice verse two, he said, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Uh, I like the everyday part. David said, well, I, I don't save my praise for the Sabbath day and down at the tabernacle although that's a day of praise and we're going to go down there and sing and worship god david said god i really i worship you every day i praise you every day uh maybe maybe it should be the first thing we do every morning what do you think start the day with praise go into your prayer closet confess your sin i have to confess every day matter of fact i start in the morning and just keep doing it all throughout the day right so i start in the morning i confess my sin and my weaknesses and my failures you know whatever that may be grumpy tired angry, you know, cantankerous, the list is long and I'm sure you can relate, all right? So you confess all that stuff. You confess all those things and you praise God. And then throughout the day as we walk with God and we confess, we still praise God all day long. If you don't have a heart of praise throughout the day, then something's wrong. If you can't be thankful to God and pray over your food before you eat lunch, something's wrong because we eat at the grace of God and we breathe his air and we drink his water and God made Diet Coke, so we gotta praise him, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. He made the stuff that goes in it. The point is we should be, we should be like David uh, and praise God throughout the day, every day, seven days a week, not just on a particular Sabbath day. And then I think about Christianity today and our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ Are we to just worship on Sunday? Are we just to show up here with a well-choreographed music and a a very prepared and blessing of a choir and orchestra and all that, which is wonderful, and and we're gonna worship God together, we should certainly give it our best effort, and we do, and, and they do, and they do wonderful. But is that the only day that we're worshiping? Let me ask you this, is that the only day there should be a song in our heart? Is, that, is this the only day on Sunday that we should sing to Jesus, that we should have a joy and a, and a song in our heart? No. No, I drive in the car by myself a lot. And I listen to the music and I listen to preaching. And there's cause to sing and to praise God all throughout the day. Maybe when God gives a special blessing, somehow he intervenes in life and he blesses us. He certainly is worthy of praise in the moment, isn't he? And he answers prayer. He blesses us and protects us. You know, see that the problem is I think sometimes Christians see church and worship as putting a check in the block. Okay, here's my obligation because I'm a Christian. I got to show up on Sunday. And if I show up on Sunday morning, particularly if I come to one of the services, then the check's in the block and I'm clear and free for the rest of the week. Okay, I can do whatever I want and you know, go about my business and, and, and order my schedule as I want. No, that's not how it works. I said this morning, and I say it again, Jesus Christ bought you and he bought me, lock, stock and barrel, head to toe. He owns us. He redeemed us with his own blood. We should worship him as David did here every day, uh, particularly in personal. Uh, And I'll give you two reasons of this whole thing, what David said, I'm gonna worship God because he's my God, because he's my king, and I'm gonna do it every day. There are two things that I know will hinder worship for a Christian. Two things that will hinder a saved person from having the same attitude that David has. And one of them is sin. One of them sin. If we're engaged in sin, and I mean embracing it, I mean living in it, allowing it, you know, putting that little room in our life where we hide that sin and, and we get cleaned out everywhere else except that one, we go, God, I'm going to keep that one because I really like it. If that's the way we're living as Christians, you won't be able to worship like David does right here because that sin will be like a, like a burr under the saddle blanket. You ever have horses? You get a sand spur under the saddle blanket, the horse is not happy. The horse is not happy all day. And he usually let you know he's not happy. Listen, that's how sin is to us. It's irritating. It bothers us. It's irritating all day long, all the time. And the Holy Spirit won't let us get over it. You can't worship. Listen, you can't worship as a Christian when you're under the correction of the Holy Spirit. When you're under the the discipline, you're under the chastening in the spirit, it's hard to worship. It's hard to have Christian joy when we're being disciplined because of our sin. It's hard to have joy in Jesus Christ with anybody when we allow sin. So to worship like David's worshiping, we have to confess. You want to talk to David about how important confession is? Read Psalm 51. For the last year, God, I've been hiding this sin with Bathsheba and it's been killing me. He said, man, I I bet my bones are broken. He said, God, I can't do it anymore. That's the confession of a really saved person who wants a relationship with God. And David cried out to God and said, Lord, don't take your spirit away from me. That's how desperate he was. So sin will will, will hinder our worship uh, here corporately and personally. And secondly, I call it spiritual stagnation, complacency. You know, you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian and I'm not really in any sin, but I'm just in cruise control. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really doing anything wrong and I'm not really doing anything right. And I'm not, I'm just kind of, just kind of in the Christian life, just kind of muddling along. Hard to praise when you're doing that. Hard to praise God when you're doing that. Listen, the Bible says that our salvation is faith unto faith. You know what that means? It means saving faith that's how you start, right? But then that saving faith becomes more faith. And it's faith unto faith unto faith, not just faith unto faith once, it is a perpetual unto faith. Here's a, here's a question for you. If you've been saved for very long, is your faith stronger than it was the day you got saved? You bet it is. Why? Because you've seen God do some stuff, hadn't you? You've seen, what's the, the insurance commercial? You've seen a thing or two, hadn't you? As a Christian, you've seen a thing or two. And then when you've seen a thing or two, Okay, you got the trophy on the, you know, you got the plaque and the thing where you, where you dealt with that or you grew spiritually. When you do that, when we do that as Christians, when we're moving from one thing to the next and faith is going to faith, then you want to praise. Then you want to do what David does here. Then you want to praise God for it. Getting, getting uh, complacent in our faith and not growing spiritually will kill our worship time. You say, how does a Christian become complacent? How do they become stagnant? Not reading the Bible, not spending time in prayer, skipping church. Man, you, you just would not believe how many people tell me when I, when I start really hammering, man, you ought to be in church. Man, you're old fasting No, you ought to be in church. Oh, it ain't that important. You need to be in church. You know why it's important? Because if you skip church, you're gonna start skipping everything else. If you put stuff ahead of coming to church, you put stuff ahead of coming here, being under the word, letting the Holy Spirit deal with us, you'll start putting other stuff all throughout your life ahead of God and you won't worship. You won't wanna sing, you won't wanna do anything. So sin and becoming complacent. Now the next thing David does here is he moves to uh, talking about themes of praise. And uh, we don't have enough time tonight to, to do this whole chapter, but it's fantastic. I mean, if you just go down through here uh, we'll do enough to get your your whistle wet, and you'll want to go home and and uh, dig into the rest of it. But look at verses three to six when he talks about the themes of praise. He says, "Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise Your works to another, and shall declare Your mighty acts." Verse five: I will meditate on the glorious splendor of Your majesty and on Your wondrous works. Verse six, men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. The first thing David said, he said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. That's a great phrase. David said, the greatness of God is unsearchable. That means it's beyond finding out for us puny human beings. In other words, God is so vast and I touched on it this morning uh, from John's writing in First John. God is so vast and so much higher than us and so much wiser than us and so much greater than us and his existence is outside of time and space that our human brain can the vastness and greatness of God. Let me just give you a little, a little sampling, if you will. If you were in your mind to go back to a time in eternity past, you pick it, Let's let's go all the way back to before there was the first angel, because you know angels were created, right? Let's go all the way back to before there was anything created and there was just God. No matter how far back that is, he'll step out of eternity and he'll meet you there because he's never had a beginning and he'll never have an end because he's God. So go back back to wherever you wanna, wanna go. And at some point, God stepped out of void out of nothingness. And think about this, God needs nobody. God needs nothing. He's God. And then expressed to us in Father, Son, Holy Spirit in His Trinity, completely completely satisfied within Himself and fellowship and existence with no need of anything. But in His greatness that we can't comprehend, He chose as God to create. And so, the first created order that we can find in the Bible is He began to create heavenly beings and angels and cherubims and seraphims. And He created uh, seraphims to circle the throne and, and to praise and to sing. And they must be able to really sing good. And the, and, and the angels can sing. And so He created all these heavenly hosts. And the Bible says that the angels were innumerable, kind of like the stars, you know, it says in the Bible, and He made the stars also almost as a little tagline, and you can't count them all. That's how vast God is. And so he, he created all these angels and cherubim and seraphim and all these creatures. And God created Satan, a covering cherub, a beautiful angel. And of course he fell and you know the story and, and Satan led uh, a large portion of the angels who became demons and God cast them out. But the thing is in God's greatness and his self existence in, in, in deciding to create, He did all that and he's absolutely pure to a degree that we cannot comprehend. In heaven where God exists, now God's everywhere, he's spirit, but there is a a heaven uh, where we will exist one day, a new Jerusalem that will be built. There's purity there and holiness that is beyond comprehension. And what I'm saying, and we could do this all night, to try to to try to comprehend the, 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 the majesty and the glory and, and the holiness and the purity of God is beyond human capability. We can't do it. And David said, Lord, uh, one of the reasons we're gonna worship you is because you're that, because you're all that. And, and, and listen, since God is all that, doesn't he deserve to be worshiped? Doesn't he deserve for us to say, God, you're a great God. I, when I prayed, I say that a lot, God, you're a great God. I don't really, I, I don't comprehend how great he is, but that's the best I can say it. God, you're a great God. I, that's all I can say, you're a great God. And, and I, like, I like the idea in, in, in Isaiah, I think it's 45, 22, where God said, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be safe for I'm God and there's nobody else. I pray that a lot, I say, God, you're the only one there is. And if anybody's gonna get saved, they gotta come to you uh, and I really like the fact, God, that there's nobody else but you. There's no, com- there's no competing gods out there, you get it? The Greek pantheon, they're nothing. They're nothing. The Greeks, the Romans, and by the way, the Romans took the ones from the Greeks and just made them name something else, okay? So they're all the same messed up uh, false stuff. God's the Jehovah God, and the Bible's the only one there is. And so David said, Lord, we're, we're gonna worship you because you're the only one there is. One other idea and aspect of God's, awesomeness, his unsearchableness. It's in the creation of man. Think about it for a minute. Try to unpack the idea that God created us in his image. And I can give you the theological stuff about that. I can stand up here and spout all that off to you about what it means. But what does it really mean? I mean, of all the things God made, think about this. And he made a lot of stuff, didn't he? I mean, he made some beautiful cherubim and seraphim and angels and and there may be creatures in heaven that aren't even listed in the Bible that are running around up there that we don't know about. And I just know they're all beautiful because God didn't create anything that's ugly. And then God took it in his own choice and free will to just say, you know what, let's make man in our image. That's pretty special. That's pretty special. The God of the universe said, "Let's let's make a creature that in some ways is like us in a reflection of us, not like God, but a reflection. God did that. And David said, Lord, I'm gonna worship you because you did that. You're worthy of being worshiped because you did that. You created us. And not only did God create us in his image, but then we sinned and rebelled. And He didn't give up on us, he came after us. Jesus went to the cross and died, provided a way for us to be saved. He redeemed us pardoned our sin, gave us eternal life, adopted us into his family, made us heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and above all said we can rule with Jesus one day. Does that stagger your mind? I mean going from going from I deserve hell, outright flat, no doubt about it, I deserve hell, to being saved, redeemed, adopted, and made a child of the king. I'd say God deserves to be worshiped, don't you? And that we ought to be doing it. The redeemed of Christ ought to be doing it. Then David goes from talking about how uh, God is unsearchable. And in verse four, he talks about the mighty works of God. He said, God, you should be praised for your mighty works. He says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts, the things you've done. Well, again, we've already talked about some of them, but let me, let me talk about creation in a little more detail. Creation is one of the great mighty acts of God. And, and let me put it in these terms. God has allowed humanity to become very technologically advanced. We, we make stuff all the time. We take the resources that God put here on the planet and we manipulate them and we, and we build things. And the reason we do that, by the way, is because we're created in the image of God. The reason we can do that is we're created in the image of God because God's a maker of things. And so God made us to be a maker of things. But understand this we can't be a maker of things like God's the maker of things. Because here's what God did when there was void, and I mean when there was nothing but Him, He spoke matter into existence where there was nothing before. He's the only one that can do that. We can. Make things out of the stuff that's here, that God put here, but we can't make things out of nothing. Everybody following that? It's kind of like uh, energy, that that law of energy. It's always diminishing. We can't create energy, you follow me? It always takes more energy than the energy we created to make the energy that we created. Follow me? God doesn't have that problem. God makes energy like, boom, there's a sun with energy beyond limits, and he put it there and it didn't drain God of anything. He just created it, boom, it's there. And so God creates from nothing. And then think about this, being, a, being an, ex, uh, an ex-tweet electronics technician, I had to learn about atoms and, and electricity and electrons and protons and, and atoms and all the stuff, you know, the nucleus and all that stuff. It's still fascinating, I like it. God created a thing so small that you can't hardly see it in an atom. You can't see it. You got to get a, 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 an atomic microscope, get it? To be able to even begin to see this small thing. Now watch this. But that small thing that you can't even see has the power to destroy a city. You split the middle of that thing and see what happens, okay? You won't like what you get, all right? Energy. Only God could do that. Who can do that? Who can create a thing that you can't even see that has enough power if you split the middle of the atom, it blows everything up? God, only God can do that. I said this morning, the, the intricacies of DNA in the human body and you're, the cells in your body and the cells in my body replicate themselves. They take out a strand of DNA and the cell, the cell, each cell of your body is its own little city engine thing and has energy and it has it has a power source and it copies the DNA and makes another cell exactly like the one that died off and replaces it. And if it wasn't for sin in this world to touch these bodies, it would do it perfectly. We'd never get old. But sin damaged the process. But the process is flawless. I mean, it's flawless. It works all by itself. It just does it over and over and over. Why? Because God told it to. And so David said, Lord, uh, every generation is gonna praise you for your acts, for the things that you've done because they're mighty. And uh, I have to be careful, we'll spend the rest of our time on this. The oceans of the world, I've sailed over just about all of them. We left Norfolk, Virginia one day And nine months later, I pulled into San Francisco under the Golden Gate Bridge. That's pretty much around the world, the long way, okay? Could have gotten a car and drove it a lot shorter, but no, it went all the way around. Do you know how much stuff lives in the ocean? In Genesis, when it said God brought life in the ocean, it actually means to team with life. It means to overflow. There's, there's, there's stuff in the, in the ocean, we still don't even know what it is. It's not, it's not even been classified in a species yet. You know how, how long it took God to put it there? He spoke it and it was so. All of it, all, the whole ecosystem, the whole thing. He just spoke it. David said, Lord, we should worship you because of what you've done. The world today, society, the agnostics and the atheists. An agnostic, by the way, is just a cowardly atheist who doesn't want to say I'm an atheist, so they just ride the fence and say I'm an agnostic. That's not theological, but it's true. These men and women blaspheme the God who made all this by coming up with a feeble argument like evolution. And feeble is the nicest word I could think of. They come up with a feeble argument that The intricacy of life and the magnitude of life just happened all by itself. It is is the hard heart of a man or woman who rejects God who has to come up with something like that to exclude God from creation. Young people, I know in the school system, they teach you the theory of evolution it is the worst theory ever created by man, and it is a theory. It's unprovable and unsustainable. Theories, by the way, in the scientific process are meant to be proven or disproved, and it's just a, a wonder that that one keeps hanging around because it can never be proved but disproved many a times. But a lost world, a lost world, knows that if they admit God created, then they got to admit everything else about Him meaning sin and the fact that I need to be saved. So they absolutely, absolutely will not admit it. But remember this, Colossians 1.16 and 17 says that, for by Him, by Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And listen, and by Him, all things consist. They hold together, they function. God is the creator. And David said, Lord, we're gonna praise you for your mighty acts. Then David said, Lord, your majesty, your splendor is cause for worship. Look at verse five. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Let me let me say something about the word meditate. In our fast paced give me all my information in a two minute video world, you know, give me the commercial condensed, uh, clip notes, reader's notes. We don't do much meditating today. Society doesn't do much meditating. It's all quick, 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 give me, tell me what I need to know, let me watch a video. It's hard to get somebody to watch a video for more than two or three minutes. I mean, it really is uh, an informative video. David said, Lord, I meditate. You know what meditate means? It means to to consider. It means to, to pause. It means to stop. And, and fix your attention on something, to fix our focus on something and mull it over. Look at it from every angle. And it doesn't hurt when you're meditating on the things of God to ask for help. God, help me understand, because the Holy Spirit's the one who wrote it. And so David said, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meditate on your glorious splendor and your majesty and your wondrous works. You know what happens if you meditate on God? You either get saved or you worship. This is the only two things that can happen. I mean, you meditate on God and you're lost. You go, wow, I need that. Lost people won't meditate on God. They won't listen. If you're saved and you meditate on God, it causes you to worship. And that's what David said. I was thinking about wondrous works. Now we just talked about creation and the mighty acts, And you say, well, some of them overlap. Oh well, yeah, they do. But then there's the wondrous works here really means God's intervention, things that he's done that are visible to man. And I was thinking of things like the flood. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That he told, he told Noah, hey, I need you to build a boat because it's gonna rain. Like you ain't never seen, well, it had never rained before. So it really it had never seen it. It's gonna rain and I'm gonna flood the whole world and I'm gonna start over with you and your family. What a, what a marvelous thing. And, and how about the Tower of Babel? Man got too big for his britches. We're gonna have one world religion and we're gonna have one city. And God said, oh, no, you're not. And God confused their language and scatter. Listen, God is sovereign and involved in his creation. God didn't create the world, wind it up and walk away. No, God's very involved. The greatest intervention in the history of humanity is the cross of Calvary. The greatest intervention. Man's lost on our way to destruction, destroying ourselves, sinning against God, and he sent his son to the cross. David said, Lord, I'm gonna praise you because of your wondrous works, because of your power and intervention into mankind. And then he said, very quickly in verse six, he said, And all men will speak of the might of your awesome acts and will declare your greatness. All men will declare your greatness. When's that gonna happen? Kingdom age. It didn't happen right now. The world rejects the greatness of God. They reject his authority, his sovereignty. One day, listen, one day after the tribulation over, Jesus is gonna sit on the throne in Jerusalem and the nations are gonna come there to worship him and they're gonna declare that he's God. And he's gonna rule with a rod of iron. You say, what's gonna happen if somebody gets out of hand? That won't be allowed. He's gonna rule with a rod of iron. Man, for all of human history, has been trying to build a one world dictatorship. Jesus is gonna do it in one one fell swoop. He's he's gonna come, bring the army of heaven, destroy Antichrist, destroy the wicked, and set up his kingdom, done. Why? Because he's king. Why? Because he's God. And David said, Lord, one of these days, every man, every human being, every man and woman is going to declare your righteous acts. Again, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. There's coming a day, the Father said, when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Why? Because Jesus has been given a name above every name. He's on the throne. He's exalted. And when I think of every knee and every tongue confessing, every demon was thrown out of heaven is going to have to confess that he's Lord. Everyone before they go to hell. Satan himself is going to have to bow to knee. Won't that be a sight? Man, I'll be elbowing you to get a front row seat. Move over. I want to watch this. Satan's going to have to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Now that's going to be painful for him. You know why? Because he's wanted to be God ever since he got thrown out of heaven. But he's going to have to bow. He's going to say, I'm not God. He is. So David said, I'm going to worship God for that. Let me finish with this. The goodness of God, verses seven to 10, and we'll we'll wrap this up. Look at verse seven. David said, Lord, they're gonna praise you because of your goodness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Boy, David knew that firsthand, didn't he? Man, he had personal experience with that. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Makes it rain on the just and the end, just doesn't he? Over all of his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. <clears throat> let, me, let me sum up these verses in this way God is good, period. Amen. He's good. God is good in every way. There's nothing ungood about God, there's nothing God ever does wrong. God never makes a bad choice. God is good all the time. God is good to his creation all the time. God's good to us. You say, well, what about sin? Well, what about it? God didn't have anything to do with sin. God didn't bring sin into the world. God's not the cause of sin. In fact, James 1, 13 and 14 said, God is not the author of sin. If we sin, James said, look at yourself because you're the reason. It started in your own heart became a lust, you embraced it, I embraced it, and then we chose the sin. God had nothing to do with it. Satan brought the first sin into God's universe. Satan decided he wanted to be like God, he wanted to sit on that throne, and God said, that ain't happening, and threw him out. And then Satan led a host of the angels to rebel against God, and they were thrown out of heaven. When God created man and put him in the garden, who showed up? Satan. And led Adam astray. Satan's been at it a long time, leading people to rebel against God, but God is good. God has nothing to do with that. And all of the things that Satan brought into the universe and all the rebelliousness and sin of angels and demons and us, God's still been gracious, particularly to us. God's given us opportunity to repent. He's given us opportunity to be saved. Every day that a lost person lives on this planet is another day of grace for them to come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. I pray every day for Jesus to rapture his church. I pray it every day. You know why I hadn't done it yet? At ain't time. There's more lost people gotta be saved. There's more people that have to hear the gospel. But listen to me. One of these days, the last person that's gonna be in the church age is gonna get saved. It's gonna be somewhere in the world. It could be in India, China, African continent. It doesn't matter could be in the hills of West Virginia, some kid in overalls and barefoot's gonna pray to receive Jesus and God the Father's gonna go, that's the last one. Call them all, get them them all up here. That's the only thing he's waiting on is for the church to be full. Now, whether or not that happens in our lifetime or not, I don't know, but you know how to make it get here quicker? I'm just kidding, you can't make it get here quicker. Share the gospel and get people saved, okay? Because you might be the one to lead the last person to get saved. But the fact is, God is good all the time. You say, well, well, what about God's judgment against sin? Well, he judges because he's good. It's his goodness that demands the judgment. You see, God's goodness is connected to his righteousness. And he wouldn't be good and righteous if he didn't deal with sin. Everybody follow me? He has to deal with sin because he's holy. But even in judging, even in judging, listen to what David said, he's patient and long suffering and gives us time the city of Nineveh comes to mind. The Assyrians historically, and I don't have time, there's a wicked bunch of folks. I mean, they were mean and, and, and wicked and, and Jonah knew they needed to be destroyed and Jonah was mad because God didn't destroy them. But God said, Jonah, you know how many children are in that city? How many don't know the left and the right? Would you have, Jonah, come on, have a little bit of my heart, have some compassion. And God spared the city because they repented. God is long suffering and patient. And listen, when God judges, he doesn't do it vindictively. God didn't do it to get even. He's not vindictive. God's not capricious. He's in this mood one day and in this mood the other. No, God's good all the time. All the time, even in judgment, he's holy and righteous. And then David said in verses eight, and nine, he's gracious and full of compassion and slow to anger and great in mercy. He's good to all. Reminds me as I close with 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, right? But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. Why? Because he's good. Because he's good. David gave us a little sampling of why we ought to worship God. It's pretty good, isn't it? Read the rest of the chapter because it's just as good. There's a whole bunch more in there. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, would you pray and ask Jesus to save you right now? You say, Pastor, I, I, you know, I haven't really been feeling like worshiping and I'm not really into it. Maybe check your relationship with the Lord. Maybe check your heart. Is there sin there? Is there rebelliousness? Listen, this is God's word. I didn't just make this stuff up this week. You know, this, this is God's word. And and it's real, and it's true. And if you've never been saved, would you pray and invite Jesus to save you right now? All of eternity hangs in the balance. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, you are good all the time. God, you're good when we're rebellious. You're good when we're sinful. And God, you are good when you forgive us and you're patient and kind. Father, maybe there's somebody here tonight, a man, a woman, a young person, boy, girl, Lord, and they need to be saved right now. God, maybe they've played games with you for a long time and maybe played the church thing and the religious thing, but God, right now, they really need to be saved. And I pray, God, you would deal with their heart. Lord, between you and them, convict them right now. will draw them to be saved. God, and from their seat, may they just pray and say, God, I really wanna be saved. God, change my heart on the inside. Lord, do for me what only you can do. Make me a new creation in Christ. Change my look on life, Lord, change the way I live. God, touch the heart of those who need to be saved tonight. Father, maybe there's a Christian here tonight. And God, we need our, our hearts renewed for worship. Help us, God, to examine where we might be sinful and hiding that sin and help us to confess it, Lord, and, and be willing to walk in holiness before you. God, hear our words tonight. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. If I can pray with you, I'll be down here for the first verse. Let's stand. I cast all my cares upon you. my birthday